by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Turn to Micah chapter 4, verse 1. Micah is one of those minor prophets. In the Old Testament, he's hard to find. We might just have to put it up there on the board. I don't know. Mike, are you still in there? He's not a minor prophet because he doesn't matter much. He's a minor prophet just because he didn't write a lot of the Scripture. It's a short book of the Bible. Good night. You don't mind if your pastor cheats off the screen, do you? <laughs> I've got it here on my thing. Micah 4, verse 1. It says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house. Anybody know what the Lord's house is? Come on, help me today. Thank you. I have to pull it out of you. What is the Lord's house? Church. Thank you, thank you. In the last days, and it, it likens it to a mountain. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be highest of all. Hallelujah. The most important place on earth. You're sitting in the most important place on all of planet earth right now. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Amen. It will be raised above all other hills. And peoples from all over the world will stream there to worship. And maybe they might just live stream there to worship. <laughs> but people need Jesus. And we are his house. We're the most important place on all the world. Elbow your neighbor say, you're mighty important today. <laughs> When uh, me and Angie got married, we went to Gatlinburg for our honeymoon. We were green as two gourds. I tell you, we didn't know nothing about nothing. All we knew, we was in love with one another, and that was enough. We just thought that was going to get us through everything. And we went to Gatlinburg, and they had just had, like, the worst flooding and rains that they had had for 40 years. In fact, there was a mudslide in the parking lot of the hotel where we were staying, but that next day didn't stop us from going up on the highest mountain we could find and said, we're going to go walk a trail. Now, this is the day before GPSs and <laughs> cell phone. We didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have no bear spray. I didn't have anything. <laughs> we, we said, hey, but, but see, we were used to going to the little trail at McKellar Park over there, you know, Whitehaven. It was a little trail. You started here, and you, you did a little loop for a couple hundred yards, and, you, and it brought you right back out to the place you started. And we thought, that's the way the trails must be up in the mountains. They'll bring you right back. It ain't so. <laughs> We're about two or three miles into this trail climbing. I'm saying, surely, Angie, is fixing to bring us back. But it seems like we're still going uphill. And I'm thinking, should we turn back? I said, no, we have been too far to turn back now. We got to keep going. About that time, we got to this raging river coming down the mountain. 
Now, I imagine back before the 40-year flood that we were experiencing, it might have just been a, a puddle that we could have probably stepped over. But now it's a raging river we can't get across. And I'm thinking, should I go back? What should I do? I said, come on, Angie. Let's walk down the, the river a ways, and we'll find a way across. So we left the trail. <laughs> and we're walking down this river. And sure enough, several hundred yards down, there was a tree that had fallen across. And we scooted our narrow little tail ends across that thing without getting wet. It was a miracle. And we got on the other side, and I said, let's go back and find a trail. But by the time we went back that way, you know, things were washed out. And it was a little trail anyway. And we could not find that trail. <laughs> what? It ain't true? Mostly true. It's mostly true. You heard it out of her mouth. <clears throat> it is true. What's what about that ain't true? You just giggle because I make things seem bigger. Okay. But it, we didn't know enough to know it was a big time. We didn't know enough to know that we were lost on the mountain without a cell phone or any way to get off the mountain. So we just started walking. We walked up that mountain, we walked and we walked, and we said, surely we're going to find the trail. Eventually, when my legs was quivering, we found a trail, and we got on that trail. We didn't know which way to go. We just said, any, many, mighty, mo." We took off. I, I'm telling you, as far as we walked to get there, we walked to get back off of that trail. That trail finally brought us to a paved road on the other side of the mountain somewhere. And we were happy to see, I've never been so happy to see concrete in all of my life. <laughs> and we didn't know which way our truck was, but we said, let's go this way. And we went and we walked down this road and eventually we took another left and we got on another road and we found our truck in a parking lot on the other side of the mountain. By the time I sat down, I didn't have anything. I, I had to pull myself up in the truck and my legs were gone. And I was a young man at the time. Why do I say all this? I don't know. But I say this to, to let you know that as long as I had my Angie poop with me, I was going to be all right. <laughs> so you see, <clears throat> when I met Angie, I was dating other girls at the time. You know, I, I liked girls. And, and I had a few I was going out with. <clears throat> but I went out with Angie one time, and after that it was over. You could have taken my black book and thrown it away. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call in those other girls anymore. It was Angie, and it was Angie by herself. And we were together for three years before I finally asked her to marry me. But see, that's how lost I was. I didn't know how to do it. But I remember being at work when I first met Angie, and I'd be writing her love letters at work while I was at work. I'd doodle her name on my hand. I'd write her name over and over on a piece of paper and bring it to her when I got off. It was silly. I'm, talk I'm talking I was head over heels, all right? I was so in love. My last $500 I had in the bank, I bought her her first car. It was a Volkswagen Bug, and I got it for $500 paid off. It didn't have a, a floorboard in the back. You could stick your foot down and stop it like the Flintstones. In fact, it should have not had a floorboard in the front. You could have just pedaled it faster than that little engine would take it. And speaking of the engine, the engine didn't even have a cover over the back. You know, the engine is in the back on those VWs. And it would, there's just raining in the carburetor every day. But that thing would crank up. 
like clockwork and get her back and forth to the little place where she worked. Say, I was in love. Don't you say you're in love. We ain't never been in love. <clears throat> Not yet. You're too young. Matthew 13, 45 says this. Jesus is talking about, he's explaining the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we're going to talk about today. In fact, your homework is go read Matthew 13 when you get off today. When you get off like we're at work. When, when you leave today, clock out and, and go read Matthew 13. Because it's talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What is this kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says in verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. You see, I had been a merchant on the lookout for choice girls. But it says when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he had and he bought it. He threw his black book away. And that's also the same thing that happened to me when I met Jesus. Everything else that mattered to me now was funneled through the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the way, he was the truth, and he was the life, and I was going to follow him with everything that I have. And there's people in here that knew me before, and there's people in here that know me now and can testify that's a true statement, mostly true. It's a true statement. I have followed the Lord the best of my ability because I found the pearl of a great price. Am I making any sense so far? Amen. Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us. Who did? Jesus. He rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of light. We have, we have moved locations. We are no longer of this world. We've been translated into the kingdom of heaven. Say kingdom of heaven. Amen. Now see, the Bible sometimes calls it the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes it calls it the kingdom of God. But we're talking about, it's the same thing, the kingdom. And we're going to talk about being kingdom-minded today. Who remembers what we talked about last week? We had one thing, remember? The title of the message was, You Got One Thing. Somebody shout it out. Somebody better know. Huh? Remain in Jesus. Couldn't have said it any better. It's about your proximity to Jesus. If you got one thing to do in this world, it's see how close you can get to Jesus. Everything else will take care of itself. Everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Your life is hidden. With God in Christ Jesus. All your problems melt away in the power of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. So you got really just one thing. We make it about all these other things. We got all these processes and, and plans and everything. But the, the one thing is that pearl of a great price. That you may sell everything else that was important to you. Put down all your plans. And take up your cross. And follow him. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now we're ambassadors for this new kingdom in which we belong. Now I know we live in America, and I know you're patriotic, and I know you love your country just like I do. But my first allegiance is to the kingdom of heaven. My first allegiance is to what God says to do. 
Am I making sense? Because we're citizens of heaven now. And we're just ambassadors. What's an ambassador? We talk about that all the time. It's somebody sent from one country to represent their country in another country. An an ambassador, he's, he's stationed at the embassy. So that makes the church like the embassy of the kingdom of heaven. And we're ambassadors. We're representing. Say representing. We're representing Christ here on the earth. Man, is this making sense to you so far? I love it. Let me ask you a question. When you came to Jesus, was it because you loved him so much? Or was it because you was kind of interested in those promises of the kingdom? Let's be honest. I didn't really know Jesus when I came to him, but I just wanted the eternal life. I wanted the forgiveness. I wanted a fresh start. I wanted a home in heaven. It was later that I began to realize that the pearl of the great price is the relationship with Jesus himself, not just all the goodies that go along with that. But when I first came, I realized that I had to have the king if I was going to get the kingdom. And really vice versa. What we're going to talk about today is you've got to have the kingdom if you're going to get the king. It works both ways because you see the king's throne is in the kingdom. And if we're going to do our one thing and get to Jesus, we got to do it through the kingdom. Let me not get ahead of myself. So what is the kingdom of heaven? I mean, we need to establish that before we go any further. What is the kingdom of God? Somebody tell me. Oh, you're getting right to the scriptures. I like it. Somebody else, tell me what the kingdom of God means to you. Heaven? Jesus? God Almighty? What is, a, what is an earthly kingdom? It's where a certain dominion is. It's a territory. Jesus told Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. You won't be able to see it and say, there it is over there. His kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. I don't know if you know this, but the spiritual world is more real than this natural world. This natural world is subject to change. But the spiritual, God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him as spirit and truth. The spiritual world is really more tangible and real, and it's where we'll spend eternity. It's more real than this natural stuff down here. It's, so the kingdom of God is spiritual. It's everlasting. It's not just some far-off place called heaven. Most of us think, well, I'll get the kingdom of God under by and by when I go and be in heaven. But Jesus said that, no, you not, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is now. When you receive Christ, you received the kingdom. It's not, heaven is like 
the capital of God's kingdom. But I wrote down some things that I, the way I would describe the kingdom of heaven. It's the realm over which God reigns as king. It's the realm wherever you find that. It's not just a certain location on, heaven, on earth. Like if Joe was to go to Uganda, then the kingdom of heaven had just arrived in Uganda. Because that realm of God's influence is in, inside of Joe. The kingdom of God is where people follow God. They, they follow his rule. He's the king, and whoever follows his rule has entered the kingdom. Is this making, is this bringing anything a little clearer? The kingdom is in the hearts where God's love and God's will is practiced. So if we're going to get to our one thing, we need to be doing God's will. And we need to stay in God's love. Because the kingdom's throne is in the middle of those two. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It isn't just about church on Sunday, although that's the important part. It isn't just about reading your Bible, but it's about climbing that mountain. We'll talk about that a little more here in a minute. You see, the kingdom provides advantages that an earthly kingdom can't provide. And, and you mentioned the scripture that I was going to mention. Romans 14, 7 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's just not natural stuff. It's not behaving a certain way. But it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's living in such a right way that right things are coming back to you and knowing that you're living right, you're, you have on that breastplate of righteousness and it allows you to have such peace to lay your head down at night that you wake up with joy in the morning. It's, it's something that this world cannot offer. I'm not seeing any righteousness. I'm not seeing any peace. I'm not seeing any joy in the world today. In fact, I'm often looking at the news and saying to myself, I'm glad I ain't from here. <laughs> Isn't that the way you feel? I love America, but I'm glad I ain't from here. I just get so frustrated because they're not doing things according to God's will. America, as great a nation as it is, is not God's kingdom. And many times the way America does life, it clashes with the way Christians should do life. Because we're from a different kingdom. And it frustrates me. And I wanted to talk about what frustrates God. <laughs> Can you imagine sending your son to die for these people? And you have to chase them down their whole life. And they finally say, oh yeah, I need forgiveness. And they finally receive your son into their life and they're saved and they're, brought, they're, they're given access to the kingdom. And you've translated them out of darkness into light. But now they want to go back into darkness. 
The kingdom is there for them, but they're not living in it. They're still living in darkness, or they're trying to find a compromise between the two, riding the fence between righteousness and unrighteousness. That must frustrate God. Let's turn to Haggai chapter 1. He's another one of those. Look at, what did I just turn to? By accident. Unbelievable. Another mostly true story, folks. How many? Over 2,000 pages, and I opened it up to Haggai. That'll never happen again. Woo! I'm preaching so, so good, I got to say, woo! <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. This is what frustrates God. Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. They're still saying it. 3,000 years later. The people are saying it's not time to build God's house. Then the Lord sent this message through to prophet Haggai. He says, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look what's happening to you. What is, what is God saying here? When he offered them his lordship, they're still down here trying to set up their little temporary kingdoms like they're going to be able to take it with them when they go. They're still carnally minded. I'm not saying it's wrong to build a house down here, but I'm saying is that your thing? While God's house lies back here behind Starbucks? I'm just saying. We say we're subjects of the kingdom. But is it our kingdom or his that we're really serving? Are we temporary minded, investing everything in this 80, 90, 100 years we may live? Are we kingdom minded, investing in an eternal kingdom where there's eternal rewards? Last time I checked, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Not that you go to prepare a place for yourself down there. But that I go prepare a place and I think I want to live in his place. So why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you can't keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Does it seem like that? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now he says, now go up on the hills. In the King James, it says, go up on the mountain. 
Go up on the mountain and bring down timber and rebuild my house. Now, what did that scripture say? Liken the, the house of God to the mountain. It was the highest mountain. He's saying, go up on the mountain and bring down timber. We're to go to the house of God and, and bring down timber to build God's kingdom here on the earth and bring in these lost folks. So that this, this house of God may be the most important place in all of the earth. And we don't frustrate God or frustrate his plans. Now go up on the hills and bring down the timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Whew. Somebody say, whew. Let's, let's shift gears here for a minute. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 28, the end of chapter 16, he says, and I tell you the truth, some standing right here now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. If the kingdom of God is far off as when you get to heaven, then why is he telling them, some of you that are standing that I can see physically right here will not die until you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That's the, I think that's the last verse in verse in chapter 16, if you, if you go immediately to chapter 17, it says, and then, and then in six days. It starts talking about six days later, they went up on a mountain, and he took Peter, James, and John. He took the ones that was always hanging around following Jesus, making sure they, that, that their one thing was straight. And he took them up on a mountain, and there he was transfigured. And he began to shine in all of his glory with robes so white that no Clorox could have got them that clean. And he's shining with the glory of God. And he's talking to Moses and Elijah on the mountain. And what are they doing? They're witnessing the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So what is the kingdom? What did they see up on that mountain? They saw Jesus glorified. And the kingdom of God is where Jesus is glorified. Wherever Jesus is lifted up and glorified, there you find the kingdom of God. Who got to see this? Those who were following Jesus up the mountain. It was Moses that went up the mountain. Even if he had to go alone, he would go up the mountain. He would come down. His face would be shining with the glory of God. They'd make him put on a veil. They couldn't take it. And that's what, and, and there's a scripture, it's just come to me, that says if the, the, the glory of the Old Testament with Moses had to put on a veil, how much more should we shine now that we know the true risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? How much more should we be shining? But we're, are we climbing the mountain? Are we building the house of the Lord? Are we bringing glory to Jesus? Is the kingdom of God established in your life? Do you even understand what I'm telling you today? Is, 
Is your religion, is it, is it religion or is it relationship? Is it about a church service on Sunday? Or are you getting up on Monday morning climbing the mountain to be with Jesus? That his glory may be reflected from your life and you may come down and build the house of God and build the kingdom of God here on this earth. You can tell those that are living in the kingdom because they're living right because they have peace and they have joy in the Holy Ghost. We can see it on your face. Our faces should shine with the glory of God. I've been with the king in the kingdom this morning. And I'm going to be with the king again this afternoon. I can't wait to get off work. In fact, I'm going to talk to him all day at work. I'm going to spend my time in his word. I'm going to do, I'm going to stay on the path. The word of God is a light unto our path. I'm going to stay on the path and live in the kingdom that I may pursue the king. I know the way. I know he is the truth and I know he is what real life is. You know, Angie and I, we were so lost up on the mountain that day. We didn't have a clue. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know, know where to go. We didn't know how many miles laid before us. But as dumb as we were, when we found the path, we knew enough to stay on it. We knew the path would lead us home. And many of you are right here, you're saying, is this the end times? I don't know. How many miles do we have left to go? I hear people prophesying and we got 50 more years. And I'm like, oh no, I'm ready to go. Don't prophesy that. But we don't know. No man knows the hour. We don't know how many hours, how many miles that we have left. But we do know Jesus is the path. And we know he's the way. And we know wherever he is, is the kingdom. And the realm is thy will be done. How, how many of us can truly say, God, thy will be done, and mean it? Oh, we can say it. There's a lot of things we say all the time. But can you mean it? Lord, I am willing to lay down my plans for your plans. I didn't consult you at all when I headed off in this direction. My fault. What's the better path? Show me a way forward. Thy will be done. I want the kingdom of God. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. He would be known as one of the major prophets because he wrote a long book. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2 says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised up above the other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. You said, Pastor, I thought you said that was Micah chapter 4. It was. It was so important for you to know God gave it to two prophets. And we take the church as just this little old light thing. I've been trying to tell y'all. I've been trying to tell you. 
The church is what Jesus is building on the earth. It's not something you can say, I love God, God, but I don't love the church. It's his bride. It's the highest mountain, the most important place on all the earth. It is the embassy, embassy of the kingdom of heaven. And it's the thing he's saying, why are you building your house, but you're not building my house? Your house is this house. We're in this together. We're seeing things from an American point of view. The house of God is the house that we're tasked to build. The mountain lifted up highest of all, where the glory of God shines from such heights that all people will be drawn to the king and be drawn to his kingdom. I wrote this, the church is the catalyst for the kingdom. Go look that word up, catalyst. The church is the catalyst for the kingdom. Thank you for bearing with me as I yelled again today. Do you know it's almost impossible to be so excited about God and not get loud? Do you know that I don't have that much self-control? <laughs> I can't help this. This is my life. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a hireling. I strive to be a, a, a shepherd after God's own heart. And I know you do too. I know you want the same things God wants. I know that you want to be part of a life group. I know you want to be discipled. I know that you want to teach others. And disciple someone else. I know that you want to make God's plans your plans. I believe that with my whole heart. I believe we've just been conditioned so long to hear a message and then just let it slip out our ears. It just leaks out when we leave the building. But I'm, I'm praying that the power of God comes down right now. To stop up those ears so it doesn't leak out. That it stays planted in your heart and you become the power of God in this earth. You become the, the, the shining reflection of your Lord and Savior. And that we come together as a church. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.